we use behaviors to not feel what we want to feel. The thing about addiction is it's so shrouded in shame. Families don't talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's easy to take care of yourself when you have a loving relationship with yourself. Are you willing to fight for new beliefs so you can create what you want for yourself? You are now listening to The Oliver Manley Show. Thank you for tuning in to The Oliver Manley Show. It is such a pleasure to be with you today, and I appreciate you spending the next hour or so with me as we explore the story, experiences, and insights of today's guest, Lisa Carpenter. Before we get into it, I want you to consider checking out the next reinvention roadmap which is happening March 2nd and March 3rd. This is a two-day seminar I created that provides a 10-step methodical process to get you from where you are to where you want to be and breaking through the obstacles that stand in the way. It is a deep, transformational process where you will learn so much about yourself, why you are the way that you are, and how to reimagine what is possible for your future, be it business, relationships and life if any of what i'm saying resonates with you please go check out the details and ticket information at reinventionroadmap.ca and be sure to use the code word possibility to save yourself 10 percent off at checkout that's reinventionroadmap.ca code word possibility and it's happening march 2nd and march 3rd as well i recently filmed a facebook live which i don't normally do and I did this because I wanted to share my experience of my first Vipassana meditation retreat. I began 2019 with 10 full days of pretty much living like a monk. There was nine days of noble silence. And just to give you an idea of what that means, that means no looking at people in the eyes, no speaking, no gesturing, no writing notes, like literally just being with yourself. Waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, meditating for 10 hours a day, ending the day at 9 p.m. Pretty much the whole day was sitting down with eyes closed at practicing the Vipassana meditation technique. This is one of the most challenging, if not the most challenging and painful things I've ever experienced, yet rewarding in ways I could, have only, I could literally only attempt to describe. So I created the, created the Facebook Live to share as much as I can possibly share uh, with words. But uh, really, I did this because if there's any ounce of you who th- that is considering attending a retreat like this, like Vipassana, and you'd like to know what my experience was like, uh, please go ahead over to my personal Facebook page at facebook.com slash Oliver Manalise, and you can find my Facebook Live there. You just can scroll down, and you'll find it at uh, some point in the third week of January. On to today's guest. So today our guest is the powerful Lisa Carpenter. Lisa is a coach, an author, and a powerful leader who you can find at lisacarpenter.ca. Speaking of meditation, Lisa shares her experience of learning how to sit, literally just sit for four hours. She talks about her experience there. We discuss her experience in overcoming addiction and codependency within her family, the power of doing the hard things uncommonly well and repeatedly. We talk about how we hide in plain sight and what that means. 
we discussed a topic that is very, very important to me, which is the addiction to doing and being versus doing. She talks about her beautiful insight, judgment and curiosity cannot hang out together, which I really, really love. We talk about this and so much more. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. My friend, it is with pleasure that I share this interview that I had with Lisa Carpenter. All right, welcome to another episode of the Oliver Manalise Show. My name is Oliver Manalise. I'm here with the powerful, inspiring, amazing Lisa Carpenter. If you don't know who she is, Lisa works with driven, ambitious achievers who want to live, lead, and perform at their highest level. These are people who think they should have it all figured out, but know deep down something is holding them back from the life business or body that they desire. She does this by helping clients free themselves from judgment, break through their bullshit and shift their perspectives so they can feel more at peace, at ease, more joy, successful, fulfilled. Her full frontal living message encourages encourages her clients to stop trying to do their way to success. I love that part. And empowers them to stay present to what they're feeling and how they're showing up in all areas of their life. Lisa has nearly 20 years of coaching experience, an extensive background in nutrition and fitness, and brings a unique blend of coaching to her clients, helping them create lives, businesses, and bodies free of stress, struggle, and frustration. Her work acknowledges the connection between our behaviors, our emotions, and breaking free from the constraints of societal beliefs like sacrifice, dieting, and hard work. Her own personal family journey with addiction plays a huge role in her teachings as so often unhealthy behaviors are caused in an effort to numb out the emotions we don't want to feel. Lisa's the creator of EAT, Eat and Feelings and Food, her signature online weight loss and mindset programs, and also author of the international best-selling Amazon book, Let's Eat, Break the Addiction Cycle of, of Dieting, Lose Weight, and Make Peace with Food and Your Body for Life. She's been featured on CBC, Radio News. She's been voted as one of the top online weight loss programs and coaches in 2016. She's been on so many different podcasts, has spoken in front of many groups, including dentists, teachers, breast cancer survivors, runners, Ironman competitors. She's even graced the competitive fitness and figure stage, placing first multiple times, along with a top 10 national level placing at the Fitness Universe competition. Wow. Lisa is a loving wife and proud mother of three boys. She and her family family live in Steveston, British Columbia, Canada. Fellow Canadian, welcome. Fellow Canadian, thank you. It's always when I have to sit and listen to my own bio, I'm like, wow, I've done a lot, right? It's always perspective when your life is reflected back to you in your words. So that was amazing. I'm going to have you read my bio all the time. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really excited to get into it with you because you have we have so many uh, areas where we line up. But I would love for us to just open up with... Well, first of all, I, I told you I was going to ask you a specific question, but I forgot that there was a question before that that I need to ask Amazing. you first. Okay, so surprise! <laughs> surprise! And first, you know, I really want to thank you for inviting me on your show to have this conversation. I've been really looking forward to it. So I want to make it a spectacular listen for all your followers and listeners. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure. And I'm, I'm very thankful to have you here. We you were, I was pointed in your direction by our mutual friend, Samantha Gladish, who's also been on the show. 
And literally she said, you have to see her website. You have to talk to Lisa. And I was just like, okay, let's look at her site. And literally the first few words, you're like, are you a overachiever who's overwhelmed and frustrated or something like that? And you, you started to emphasize the, the whole doing, like you've mastered doing. And I was just like, you know, you're speaking to me. And immediately I had to, I had to talk to you. So um, mm. that's why I'm really excited to have you on. So the, the question that I want to open up with is... You've done a lot of incredible things. I would love for people to get an idea of what your day looks like right now, like a little snapshot, like paint us a little picture so that when we do go into um, some of the adversity, some of the challenges, people can contrast, they can see the difference. So how does your life look like right now? What's a day in the life of Lisa? This is an amazing question to ask me because I was literally just reflecting on how far I've come being an overdoer to where I am now. So today was a little bit different. Today I actually chose to stay in bed a little bit longer, do my journaling and my meditation at home. But generally during uh, the week, it is getting up early, going to the gym, getting some movement in. I'm incredibly kinesthetic. That's how I process things. That's how I kind of get downloads from the universe. So I need to move. That sets the tone for my day. So I go to the gym, spend some time there. Then I sit in my car down by the river because of the time change. Now I get to do, you know, just a short 10 minute meditation, watching the sun come up. And when I say a 10 minute meditation, like this is a huge thing for me. There was a time in my life where I couldn't be with myself at all because the thoughts were just constantly racing. And I just had a really amazing exercise this weekend that we can, that we can talk about after. Then I come home and I put on my mom hat and I get the kids fed and ready and out the door, one driven to school, and then the other one goes with my hubby because I've got uh, an almost 17-year-old, a 7-year-old, and then my oldest is turning 19. So he's kind of he's kind of on his own doing his own thing, right? But it's a very, like, so our, our mornings are interesting. Never stressful, though, because I intentionally show up with being unavailable for stress in my life or re- rushing or anxiety. So once they're out the door, then I get my time to get ready leisurely if I choose to. I usually sink into a 20-minute hypnosis session depending on what it is that I'm working on in my life and what it is I'm looking to kind of reprogram in my subconscious. And again, it's that being with myself time. Then I will hop into social media, do a post, do something like that. But I typically don't even start my day with clients until 11 o'clock. Because I want to make sure that I have all the time that I need in the morning to show up as my best self, whether it's journaling, writing, going for a walk, whatever it may be, that is sacred time for me. And I mean, I used to be the person that jumped out of bed and was like on it and in it right away. And I just can't do that. Can't do that to myself anymore. So my day is is relatively slow. I see my clients. I do whatever it is I have on the schedule for the day. My little guy comes home sometime after three and I try and, you know, shut it down. And then it's just the mom show in the evening, right? Practicing letters and reading and, you know, something that is fun and mindless for me because I can be quite intense in my day. I have big conversations. So sinking into something that is just fun and light, like, you know, my my secret passion is to watch like cake decorating shows, you know, where they take like a cake and they turn it into like a dragon that looks like a dragon. These are the things that I watch to turn my brain off. So that's, yeah, that's kind of a typical, typical day for me. 
I love the bookends of your day. Right? <laughs> right? Opens up with the sacred time and it ends mm -hmm. with like the fun, light and playful mom time, the mom show. Like, like how you put that. Yeah. Well, you know, when my other two were young, my first round at, at being a mom, I felt like I was so focused on the doing and I was so driven and I didn't realize, you know, the beliefs that I had that were driving that bus. But my kids almost felt like, and I, I've done a lot of work around for forgiveness around this, but my kids almost felt like an inconvenience. Like I love them and I wanted to work. And I really got caught in this, I, you know, how can I be a good mom and work? And because I didn't feel like I was a good mom, so I was trying to avoid that, you know, those shameful feelings of not being a good mom, I dove even deeper into my work, right? Because we're always looking to kind of move away from pain. So it's really important with my son now, my young son now, to really pause and be present with him, right? A lot of things have happened in my life that that led me to this kind of different way of being with myself. But it, it was really challenging for me when my first two were young. I really, I really thought I had not received the mom card when God, the universe, whatever you believe, was handing them out. So I, I struggled to be a mom when I just wanted to grow my business. So mm. I was really addicted to the the hustle and the doing and the achieving and the not the being. How did you, how did you kind of get through that? Like, what did you do to shift that? Like my, <laughs> my kids are an inconvenience and it's not like you, like you don't love them. It's just the thing that mm. shows up where it's just like, I have so many other things to do and this is right. just how you feel. I think a lot of driven, ambitious women and I, you know, I'm going to say that men struggle with this too. We, we have these big dreams and we, we really have a hard time figuring out how we're going to do the mom thing or the dad thing and still chase our dreams, right? It's kind of this belief of it's one or the other. And, and, you know, back then I had really strong beliefs about what being a good mom looked like. You know, you had to be baking cookies and going to stroller strides and, doing those things, which made me want to like poke my eyeballs out, which fed into the story that, you know, I was different from everybody else. Cause kind of the black sheep story was my badge of honor story growing up. Right. So now I've created a wider gap and more isolation for moms instead of acknowledging that there were lots of other women out there doing the things that I was doing who were also good moms. So what helped me unpack that, you know, there was a big, um, kind of unraveling in my life where I really had to look at all my beliefs and, and really go back into all my past stories and my past history to make peace with that. So now I know I'm a good mom. I'm not a perfect mom. Uh, I choose quality over quantity, right? I'd rather be present, really present with my kids, have big conversations with them. We talk about feelings. <laughs> I share with them. Uh, my vulnerabilities, like my kids really, my kids really know me. Uh, but it took it took a lot of work in making peace with who I was as a mom, who I was as a business owner, and no longer judging myself for wanting both. I can sense that there's a lot of there's a density to the wisdom that you've mm -hmm. gained, and and why you live and act and are being the way that you're being. Uh, you said that there there was things from your past. 
Mm. I would love to know what would you say are those those breaking points or moments of truth or defining moments where you look back and you're like, wow, yeah, that played a that had a, a huge role. Like that made an impact on the on the course of my life. You know, I think it's important and these I think it's important to to start where the light came in, right? What cracked me open. Because the truth is I don't know how I would have discovered these things about myself or been able to unpack these stories without, you know, my kind of come to Jesus moment, so to speak. Um, and that was when I discovered that my second, second husband, so we had a six month old baby at the time. This is Jake who's seven. Now uh, I found out he was an addict and addicted to all things. People like, this is what this is how addiction is. And that literally took me to my knees because I didn't understand addiction. Um, It had been happening right in front of me. And I had been so blind to it, as are these things in life, right? Like we don't know what we know until we know it. And I think the universe is very intentional about when the curtains are kind of pulled back on the things that we need to really explore in our life. So I had a choice. I could either be the victim and blame him and make him wrong and point the finger at him, or I could take responsibility for my role in the relationship. So of course I'm not responsible for him being an addict, but I was responsible for how I ended up in that relationship and the behaviors that drew me to him. So that was kind of what started opening things up for me. I didn't realize because I'd been a coach for so many years, right? I could, I've always intuitively been able to kind of see what's going on for people, but I was completely blind to my own garbage. I was completely blind to my own behaviors. And in fact, a lot of the behaviors that were super destructive for me were the very things that I prided myself on. What were those behaviors? Caretaking, right? So really like taking care of all the things for all the people, um, people pleasing. So, you know, constantly saying yes having a hard time saying no. I avoided confrontation like the plague. Um, You know, at one point I almost put myself into bankruptcy because I had taken over my business partner's response, financial responsibilities in our business because she couldn't pay. So I'm like, okay, well I'll pay for you uh, until I finally was able to have that big break conversation and hand that back to her. Um, I was a huge enabler, right? And this is the thing. We often think that we're helping people but we're enabling their bad behavior. We're enabling them to not take responsibility for their lives. So these were some of the things I started to unpack. So and what was I, it like when the invisible became visible for you? Oh my God, it was horrible. It, it, it was like the worst time of my life because I was also a control freak. I didn't realize I was a control freak, but I was a control freak. And literally I felt like everything was out of control. And I was being put in a position where I had all these emotions and zero capacity to navigate them, right? Because I wasn't, I wasn't air quotes, a feeler. I lived in my head. I lived in control. I, 
my behaviors, my unhealthy behaviors were what was masking my emotions, right? We use behaviors to not feel what we want to feel. So yeah, it was, it, it was so, it was so painful for me. And I remember, you know, cause he went off to, he went off to rehab. He was gone for two months or something. He was gone for a long time. And I and remember was that bo- like he had bought him. Well, he got caught. He got caught, right? Like oh. I, I figured it out. It was one of those mo- like it was literally one of those moments. I remember sitting in my car and realizing like, oh my God, like this is, this is happening. And I came home and I just said like, you need to, you need to go. It was like the light bulb came on. So it was so, it was so painful. I re- I remember sitting and talking to my counselor and he'd gone off. So he was at rehab over, um, on Vancouver Island and I was going to pack up my baby, go over every weekend to visit him. And I remember my counselor looked at me and he said, so let me get this straight, Lisa. This guy just like destroyed your life and you're going to pack up your baby for a four or five hour round trip every weekend so that you can help him feel better. And I sat there, right? Shivers. And I argued right? Because when we, when something's been triggered in us, we usually go into fight, flight, or freeze. I'm a fighter. And I've learned now that when I like, you know, when something gets triggered and I want to fight back, then that's when I really need to take a step back and think about that. So I fought with him, of course, because I was going to defend myself. I didn't want to be wrong, right? Controllers do not like to be wrong. And I left there and I remember thinking, what am I doing? Like, what am I, what am I thinking? Like he so nailed it. And that was really the moment for me where I got that I had to put the focus on me. This wasn't about making him feel better. This was about taking responsibility for really how I was showing up. And that's kind of when everything, um, that's when everything started to change for me. Uh, I still wanted to know everything I could about addiction. And you can read all the books till the cows come home about addiction. You will never understand it. It's, you know, like it just doesn't make sense. It'll never make sense. But people who are with people who struggle with addiction, we want to make sense of it because then we can control it. Then we can manage it. Then we can navigate it. Right. We don't like uncertainty, which is not necessarily Um, how it works. No. And then I had to just really get present and just start showing up. I, it was really hard for me because I'd been a coach for so many years. So to realize that I was knee deep in my own stuff. And when I started reading about codependency, which is, is, you know, basically an addiction to unhealthy behaviors. When I started, you know, reading this book, it was called codependent no more by, by Melody Beattie. It's, it's a very powerful book. And I remember sobbing reading it. Cause I thought, Oh my God, I'm broken. Like, where do I even start, right? Like the awareness of this, she is describing me. Everything that I think is amazing about me is it's like the volume is turned up to 22, right? And, and not even knowing how to start, how I was going to turn down the volume, how I was going to feel peaceful in my life, how I was going to survive this. And that's really when I started, um, 
group therapy through this addiction center. And every Thursday, I close down my studio at a bricks and mortar studio. I drive into Vancouver, drive an hour there. I would sit in a room for two hours with people where there was crosstalk. So you were called out on your stuff. It was uncomfortable. Again, I wasn't a sharer, didn't want to talk about my feelings, felt out of control. And literally, I had to stay present in this room and stay open. And I had to talk about how I was feeling. And I had to listen to what other people were going through and let them be in their pain. And, and this is this is group therapy for family members of addicts? For family, for family members of addicts, right? Because every family member of an addict is a codependent. Or an enabler or a, yeah. That's a codependent, right? Enabler, mm -hmm. people pleaser, caretaker, uh, control freak, uh, attention seeker. Like there's so many different behaviors. Case builders, right? We want to build a case against the addict so that we can prove that they're wrong and we're right and we know better. All these things, right? So over a year I sat in that room and I allowed myself to just Every be week. there. Every week. I 100% committed to my own personal recovery Bravo. because I knew there was no way I would have my life. I didn't know what was going to happen with my relationship. I didn't want to repeat a pattern of being in another unhealthy relationship. I mm. realized, you know, going back to parenting, I realized how much it was impacting me as a parent, which meant that, you know, my kids were going to, you know, inherit, so to speak, my codependent behaviors because when you're living with an addict, an addict and a codependent, an addict is also codependent, but the behaviors feed the behaviors. So it becomes this like, you know, swampy mess, right? Swampy mess. So I literally wanted to disrupt that pattern of codependency in my family's life. This is why we talk about feelings now, but it was, it was over a year that I sat in that room and it, it changed my life. And there were a lot of other things that happened. You know, I cut off contact with my husband while he was in um, rehab, which was really powerful. I, you know, we, wow. when you're, when your loved one goes to rehab, you get a family meeting. So I, you know, packed up my little guy and um, I remember sitting across from him. He walked into the room and I sat down and I looked at him and I said, I'm over, like, I'm done. I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want you in my life. And then I had nothing else to say. And I walked out. And I remember as soon as I walked out, I was like, oh, my God, what did I just do? Right? Because the codependent, like, reared up. It wasn't planned. That's just kind of what came through me and, and came out. That moment literally changed the trajectory of our relationship because it severed the relationship. And in that moment, what happened for him is he realized he had to get healthy for himself mm -hmm. and that if he was getting healthy and sober for me, that he would always be living like his, his recovery would be dependent on yeah. me, which is not healthy. And I needed that separation so I could focus on myself there, you know, there was fallout from that, but it really did allow both of us to like the space. Become, yeah. Like we became unmeshed so that he could do his work and I could do my work because, you know, codependents always want to manage things. Like I said, we want to control it. And for him to be healthy required, he had to layer his own foundation to stand on. And if I had tried to do it for him, it would have been like laying wet newspapers for him to stand on. Like he has to navigate his life with or without me. I can't be responsible for somebody else's life. Can I ask you a question and for I, a moment? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You're a coach. You're on stages. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. are on the outside 
looking at you and your life and how you're living. And then there's this happening in the background. What was that experience like? <laughs> that was horrible. So at the time I wasn't on stages, but I was coaching in my okay. studio. Okay. Right. So I'm trying to manage my six month old, my older kids and not let anybody know what was going on because the thing about addiction is it's so shrouded in shame. Yes. Families don't talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it it's because I didn't secret. understand it. Family secret, right? It's passed down from generation to generation to generation. This is one of the reasons why I talk so openly about it because we need to talk about it because people who are struggling with addiction, they're not living under a bridge with a stray dog. They're sitting on your couch. They're, you know, they're fathers and mothers and grandparents and friends and colleagues. They're amazing human beings who are struggling with an illness. And the people who are in their lives quite often are also struggling with their own illness. But because ours, you know, because codependency technically couldn't take your life, although it can really rob you of your health, um, we don't view it in the same way. But I mean, addiction is addiction is addiction. If you're doing things in your life to avoid feeling things and not being truly present to what's going on for you, then you're addicted to the numbing. Did you, did you keep it from people for a long time? How did you integrate that yeah. into this is part of my story when people are asking, hey, Lisa, how's everything? Right. So the irony is, is one of my very long-term clients, um, her husband had gone into rehab, I think the year before. And so I reached out to her. So I, you know, like, like it's so interesting when you look back on the your breadcrumbs of your life, right? And you can kind of connect, mm. connect the dots, as Steve Jobs says. And so I reached out to her and said, "Hey, this is this is happening." And I remember looking at her and saying, "Like, do you think I'm codependent?" And she started laughing at me. And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, then." Um, but she was going to this recovery group already. Okay. She was in it. So I had someone who I could talk to. I had someone Great. right out of the bat that was an ally and a friend. And that really um, cemented in, you know, cemented in our friendship. Now, her husband, unfortunately, you know, continued to relapse. And I remember when my husband went to rehab, I was like, make sure they don't talk to each other. Right? <laughs> like trying to control it, wow. right? I'm like, make sure they're not friends. Um, which one has nothing to do with the other. But uh, so we both had very different stories. We both had very different outcomes. Um, this is this is the thing. We never know how things are going to go. And, you know, I just, I knew that I needed to save myself first. And I knew that it was important for me to see if I could make the relationship work. And I remember um, the counselor said to me, relationships with somebody who's in recovery rarely work out. There's very few people who actually survive that. So I saw my family, like I saw myself losing my family. So that's really what prompted this work in the first place, right? Like I want to save myself, but I want to save my family. So I'm going to show you, I'm not going to be that statistic. And then, you know, it very quickly became evident that I had no control over that. But I am happy to say that, you know, this will be his seventh year clean and sober. And we have a very wow. healthy, happy, strong relationship. Congratulations. And thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, it's really a testament to us both showing up and doing our work and keeping, um, 
you know, knowing the boundaries of our relationship as well. Like if he's struggling with certain things, I'm not the person to talk to about it. Mm. Right. Were you able to and, put a, a, like a finger on what it was that had you create this type of scenario for yourself? Cause I think you were, mm. you said you were talking about going into the past and like, why yeah. did I, why did I end up here? Like m the way I chose to live my life and who to be in relationship with, like what, what was it? Thank you for circling back to that. Um, so I grew up in a household, which I can now, again, connecting the dots, looking backwards. Um, in my family lineage is addiction, right? And where there's addiction, there's codependency. So a child growing up in a home where a parent is an addict, whether it's, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, Codependency comes about from learning how to survive in those relationships, right? Putting putting on the armor so that we can, you know, so our love, safety, and belonging isn't at stake. We do what we need to do. So my, you know, my parents had this lineage. So then they parented from a place of certain codependent behaviors. And this isn't like throwing my parents under the bus. Like, they were doing the best they could with what they knew. I grew up in a very loving home. And there were codependent behaviors going on, right? So at an early age, I kind of picked up the belief that I wasn't lovable. There was something wrong with me. Um, you know, it, kids really young start to look to their left and right and go like, you know, why am I different, right? Because that love, safety, and belonging, that is so ingrained in us. We don't want to put that at risk. So mm. even with parenting different now, my kids are still going to have stuff like, don't like, let's be clear here. I'm not raising perfect children. They're still going to have things that they need to look at, but the languaging around it is different for them, hopefully. Um, and then it's interesting to watch, you know, them have just, I think like, where did that come from? I don't know where that, you know, like I've got one kid that's struggling with perfectionism right now, which used to be something that was really big for me. But I mean, he's seven, like where, how do you become a perfectionist at seven? Like, how does that happen? So this is what I mean in looking back at my past. I can see, you know, my behaviors when I was young. I really lived in that state of victimhood. Like, life was happening to me all the time. Not for me, but to me. My parents were against me. The school was against me. The world was against me. So when you live in that place of victimhood, right, you're always seeking the next kind of thing. There was no taking responsibility. And I joked so many times, thank goodness there was no social media back in the day, because who knows how my life would be different. Because I was, I was a, I was a tough kid. I was a tough teenager. Um, I always had this kind of rebellious streak. I left home, you know, really early. Uh, I was constantly seeking unhealthy relationships, right? So if, if the guy was broken or he, you know, he just had low self-esteem, then I was the woman who was going to love him enough so like he could love him himself. Up, right, right. Him. Like, like a Lion King moment. Um, not realizing that I was trying to give other people what I was unwilling to give myself. Right. So to look back at your life when you've taken off the, you know, rules colored glasses, I could see these patterns that I'd had my entire life. So how I ended up with you know, my, my current hubby, my first marriage by, you know, the love of God, he's, he's an amazing guy, solid, healthy, 
it was like the universe dropped him on my lap and said, we're going to give you space to raise a family with a solid man, right? We're going to give you a reprieve. But soon enough, those behaviors of mine were drawing me back out, right? It's like any addict. We need our fix. So that life wasn't enough for me. So I literally left that marriage saying that it was, you know, too beige and I needed more excitement. And I still stand behind he wasn't the right fit for me long term. However, it really was just about me going back and finding those patterns, yeah. right? Like where I would get my hit, being it's in a an familiar, totally familiar suffering, but again, not seeing it, right? Like yeah, I not said, conscious. I never, no, I said I'd never get into an unhealthy relationship. So this looked totally different. And it was like the unhealthiest relationship possible. So like I said, I really believe that we're given all the gifts that we need in our lives to unpack our stories. And although, you know, my hubby going off to rehab was a horrible time in my life, it was honestly, it has been the biggest gift and blessing I have ever received. It changed my life and I would not go back in time and change a thing because it, it helps me do the work I do. Right. So for any of your listeners, if you're in the middle of something right now, there's a reason you're in the middle of it. You don't have to like it to accept it. And it may be a while before you find the gifts. Mm -hmm. But when I finally just said, like, this, this is happening, like this is happening and I need to show up for myself and drive myself to my group meetings and have the conversations and follow through on the things I said I was going to follow through on and be with the discomfort. Like I literally lived for a year by the George Costanza rule. I did the opposite of everything I would normally do. If it was uncomfortable, I was doing it because if it was comfortable, it meant that I was in an unhealthy behavior. So instead of avoiding the conversations, I leaned into the conversations. Instead of locking down my feelings, I would let myself sit and cry. Um, instead of being strong, I let myself feel vulnerable. And I found my strength in that. Instead of trying to control things, I let people help me. And I mm. even asked for help, right? I, I let go of controlling all the pieces, right? I stopped packing all the lunches for everybody, I, you know, took my husband to the grocery store and said, like, these are the things we buy so that you can do this, right? Like, I stopped being a martyr in my life. And and being the caretaker. Yeah. Oh. Like, I'll do it. everything for you and I'll, it's like the, the safe bubble. Right. But then no one becomes independent and self-sufficient and, and yeah. part of the support system. You're the right. support during that. Yeah. Right. And we teach people how to be helpless then. And then we wonder yeah. why they can't get their shit together. Well, you taught them to be helpless because you get something out of being in control and doing all the things, right? Like we get something from our behaviors. Um, I let go of um, perfectionism as my status quo. So I stopped hiding like all my insecurities behind how I looked because it's easy for me to put on that face and put on the clothes that people are like, Oh, she's badass. I'm not going to talk to her. And I used it to my advantage because if nobody talked to me, nobody would see that I was a hot mess and completely insecure underneath. Well, that's very powerful now, that you say that. Is that it's that it's like we all know how to look good, but mm -hmm. we don't necessarily let ourselves really be seen. 
Right. Right. We hide in plain sight. I was amazing at hiding in plain sight. <laughs> so, how, so how did the impact, um, how did this growth, like this discovery, um, go, go, going to a therapy impact you? Like afterwards, like how did it change the course of what you were doing and who you were being? That's a great question. So it completely changed who I was being, right? Because I literally evolved into, I know this sounds so coachy and so cliche, but <laughs> okay. I evolved into who, who I really was before I put on all the layers of clothes. So I kind of describe it as if you watch Friends, right? Joey Tribbiani. He puts on all of Chandler's clothes and he walks and he's like, I'm wearing all the clothes. It was like taking off every layer of clothes that wasn't, that wasn't mine. So I could actually get down to who am I? Like, what am I afraid of? How do I feel? What do I, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with me wanting to dress up and look pretty, but am I doing it to hide? Am I doing it because I'm feeling insecure? Yeah. Like, what am I actually feeling here? What does it mean to lean into my life more? So it fundamentally changed who I, who, who I was being, who I am today, which is very, very cool. I, I almost don't recognize who I used to be. Like I have so much compassion for that girl and that, that woman because she just didn't know what she didn't know. So I'm not going to beat myself up about it. It's very cool to watch the evolution. In terms of my career, you know, at the time I, was, I had built out a nutrition program called EAT, which was really teaching women who struggled with food, how to take responsibility for their relationship with food and really understand it. Now, after I'd done all this work, I realized like, oh my God, I've built out a recovery plan for people who struggle with food, right? Like that's really what eat is about mm. because I don't tell people how to eat. I don't give them meal plans. It's like, you need to show up, which by the way, from a marketing standpoint, nobody wants to buy, right? Because we want, be like, give me the, <laughs> give, give me the bandaid, like it just give me the fix. And then to take it deeper, the more I dove into this work, I realized, you know what? Food isn't even the problem. Like, we don't have a problem with food. Food is a symptom. Like, our relationship with food completely changes when we realize it's a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. So just like I use perfectionism to hide, people use food to hide how they're feeling about themselves, right? Because things we love, we take care of. It's easy to take care of yourself when you have a loving relationship with yourself. It's easy to take care of yourself when you know what you're feeling and you're not constantly reaching for things that are going to numb you out. And that's what food does, right? This is why it's called emotional eating. So that's huge. Although, it's easy right. to take care of someone that you love. If you love yourself, then you'll take great care of yourself. 100%. So look at your life. Where are you not taking care of yourself? Are you numbing yourself out because you're drowning in work all the time? What are you avoiding feeling? Right? The things that we can't be with will control us. What was the most challenging thing you weren't able to be with? What did you have to grow your capacity to be with? I had to really own who I am, what I do, and that I get to have a seat at the table, right? So I spent my life feeling insecure, like I wasn't good enough. If I got one more certificate, one more thing, one more, one more, one more, one more, then I'll be good enough. And I had to make the decision that 
I didn't need anything more. And the only thing that was stopping me from feeling successful and good enough was me. And that was uncomfortable because like the part of you that's like, oh, well, look at you with a swelled head with an ego. It's, it has nothing to do with ego. It's saying like, I know all these amazing people. Why am I not letting myself be one of the most amazing people that I know? Like, why am I making it wrong that I get to be phenomenal and amazing in my own way? Why do I keep myself small? Like, here's like, if I want to sit seat at the table, I have to be willing to pull up a chair. And these are still things that come up for me, right? Like the, where I met Samantha, we were at a retreat together and this was like, I mean, when I say phenomenal women, phenomenal women, and within 24 hours of getting home, I remember sitting on my bed thinking, oh my God, she's an amazing coach. And oh, she's doing phenomenal thing. I could feel myself shrinking. Mm. And I literally had to, you know, use that pattern disruptor using my name, Lisa, are you really going to do this to yourself? Are you really going to engage and entertain these thoughts? How about you just sit at the table this time? Let them be amazing. It doesn't diminish your amazingness. Nor does it mean you can't be amazing. But I had to be like, I had to recognize and acknowledge what I was feeling. I had to pay attention to the thoughts that I was thinking. And I had to disrupt those thoughts and sink into what I do want to believe. And that has taken a tremendous amount of work. I think a lot of us experience that where it's like, well, if they're succeeding, then I'm not. It's right. like a, it's a you or me world. Like you gotta be, if you're winning, I'm not as opposed right. to really what it is. It's like, it's a you and me world. Exactly. Like you can be great and I can also yeah. be great. It's not one or the other. No, it's like if you went and stood outside in the sun side by side, does one of you get more sun than the other? No, <laughs> like there's enough sun for all of us. Um, and I, I've recognized for me that, it, you know, if I find myself on social media or comparing myself, that's my red flag. That's my like, mm. oh, Lisa, you're in your old stuff. You're in your old stories of not being good enough. Stop it. Yeah. Right. And, and bring myself back. That is, you know, that's the most challenging part of this work that people need to understand. Just like your relationship with food, you're never done. Right. You don't drop the 20 pounds and then like. I'm out. Yeah, well, the, it's, like, it's the addiction conversation, right? It's like right. forever. You're in it forever, yeah. but it's not a bad thing. Like, you know, being in this work means you show up every day and you make the relationship with yourself a priority. Mm-hmm. You make feeling good a priority, right? Because who wants to wake up and choose to feel like garbage? But every day people do it. People say, well, I'm not choosing this, Lisa. Yeah, you are. Right. I can show you people in war torn countries that live with more joy than people who are in this country or the U.S. that have all the things. Mm -hmm. It's a choice. It's a choice how we feel in every given moment. And if you're feeling crappy, you need to look at the thoughts that are driving those emotions. And it's your responsibility to start shifting those thoughts. You have to be you have to start to become the person that you want to be. I would love to, for us to lean into addiction to doing. Yes. And your perspective on it and your experience and what you see out there in the universe of fem- driven, ambitious female entrepreneurs. Right. 
So this is the all the stuff, being busy all the time, the next course, the next program, the next certificate, the next shiny object, the do, do, do with the when I get there, then I'll relax, then I'll take care of myself, then I'll have fun, then I'll have the money. And does then that ever happen? Never happens. It never it never happens. And what they don't realize and what I didn't realize is that chasing, that doing was attached to my self-worth. Right? The results that I achieved was literally how I was looking for my worthiness. And if you weren't achieving results or if you weren't doing the next thing that didn't make sense to me. Then I was just being lazy. Like that was the story. If you're not doing stuff, you're being lazy. Like, and you don't want to be one of those people, right? You're the top 1%. Get out there, do the things. But it was coming at such a huge cost. What were the costs right? to you? My health, burnout. I went through adrenal fatigue. And this is a lot, right? Because I take good care of myself. But when you're getting up at 5 a.m., you're working out hard. You know, I was competing and I was eating and I was very regimented about what I was eating. And, you know, and then I was working from like the crack of dawn until, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night and then repeat and constantly on the go. Eventually your body just says like, no, I'm out. I can't support this anymore. So, you know, when my hubby came home from rehab, God, it was probably about six months afterwards that my health really started to decline, right? Because the levels of stress from from that um, coupled with, you know, I could look back on my entire life and see the stress levels I was running under. I was constantly running. That's all I was doing. It really robbed me of my health. And the truth is, like, we have to really look at our lives and decide what it is we really want. Like, what is that achievement about? Because it's not about the piece of paper. It's what you believe you're going to feel when you achieve that or when you have the big launch or whatever it may be. But so many of us don't actually check in and say, well, how am I feeling in the process? And when they get there, they just raise the bar again. So they don't actually pause. They don't celebrate. Yeah, there's no acknowledgement. Right. Who are you to celebrate your win? Like, Forget next. this finish line. Let's focus on the next finish line. Right. Just like go through life ticking boxes. Is that what you want to do? Like, do you want to live a life of being a human doing or do you want to be a human being? Do you want to experience what life has to offer? So slowing down was not a natural default setting for me. It's harder for me to slow down than it is for me to go into the gym and load up a sled that's three times my body weight and push it around. Like it is uncomfortable for me to be still but we grow when we're in that discomfort mm. so where I've really seen this show up in my life just this past weekend I finally did an exercise that one of my mentors has been asking me to do which was to sit for four hours people in silence with no movement and no distractions no phone no journal no book, nothing, no walking, four hours. And I've been putting it off and putting it off. And I started to For look how at how long, how long did, how long did I have to do? How did long had I been off? putting it off? A good 10 months, long time, right? That's some like serious said, avoidance right like, there. You can sit for 10 minutes in meditation, but four, 
four hours of not moving, right? And it kept coming up in this in this program to do this exercise. And I started to think like, why am I in so much resistance to this? What is available to me by exploring this? What am I afraid of? And the truth was, the reason I finally made the leap to do it is I realized I was out of integrity because I cannot ask my clients to slow down if I'm still afraid because that's what it came down to, if I'm still afraid of being that present with myself, Mm. right? Because why do we stay busy? Because we're terrified. Like my clients are terrified of what they're going to find when they open Pandora's box. They know that their brain is racing 24-7, right? And that's what it came down for me. I thought like, what what is going to come up for me in that four hours, so, so before you get into what comes up, mm-hmm. I just wanted to share something that's pretty brilliant. I forgot who said it. I'll try to find uh, the source of it, but it's like a yogi kind of person. But he says, everyone wants to find the love of their life, someone who will spend the rest of their life with them. And yet, can you even spend 15 minutes with yourself? Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> It's the thing we want, we want, we want to give other people love, but we can't be in relationship with ourselves. And that truly is what my work is about is helping people matter in their own lives, like have a relationship with yourself. And they're like, I don't, what what does that mean? (laughs) So So what came out of it? So the universe gave me this day where suddenly I didn't have my son and I thought I was going to have him all day. So I was like, okay, we're going to do this. So I did go down to the river and I parked by the river. I gave myself a view. I was supposed to probably do it in my bedroom. And I just thought, okay, like I need to at least have a view. Cause like I said, I'm highly kinesthetic. So even the thought of sitting still for four hours was very, um, it felt like it almost made me feel itchy. Like, oh my God, how am I going to sit still? Right. I'm like a kid with ADHD. Yeah, and you're your asking videos are always still. you walking. Right. I always walk because that's how things come through me. So I set my timer on my phone, got a little meditation app, set it for four hours. There's no cheating. Right. And I let myself go in and out of kind of a meditative state. And then I'd open my eyes and I'd glance at the timer and be like, okay, we're still here. We're still here. Um, I found that it was pretty peaceful when I was in meditation. So I was really acknowledging myself for how much I've been able to slow down. My thoughts didn't drive me crazy. It wasn't chaos. I was like, wow, it's actually quite peaceful being with myself. And then two hours hit. And I was like, two more hours. Like you guys, if you're listening, you can go on Facebook and you can crush an hour easy and be like, wow, where did that hour go? When you are sitting doing nothing, time expands expands like Mm. holy hannah like time just expands if you're telling yourself you don't have time trust me when you are fully present time expands for you so the two hour mark i really like that's when i realized that i had to dig deep in terms of my mental toughness because there was nothing stopping me from quitting but i also knew that if i quit that it was going to take me out of integrity And there was going to be a really big price to pay for quitting. 
what that allowed me, you know, when I, when I finished it, because I did complete all four hours, what I realized is there are many places in my life still that I'm not taking full responsibility for. And I'm avoiding doing the hard work because it's in entrepreneurship. It's not about doing more things. It's not about trying to get there. It's about becoming a marathon runner who can go the distance. And that means doing hard things over and over and over again. And one of my coaches says it's about doing the hard things uncommonly well, repeatedly, Mm. right? Doing the hard things uncommonly well, repeatedly. And when things get challenging, right? Like I do a lot of, um, discovery calls because I I work one-to-one with my clients. It's belly to belly. So there's a lot of like reaching out and referrals and all that kind of stuff. It's uncomfortable because the part of me that like likes to isolate and hopes people will just show up, (laughs) she still shows up in my business, right? To grow your business takes tenacity. It is a mental game. So looking at all the places in my life where I'm telling myself I'm doing the hard things, but I'm actually doing the hard things that are easy for me, like Mm. going to the gym. And I'm not doing the hard things that are actually hard for me. Yeah. Like leg day for some people. Like leg day for some people. (laughs) I'm the person that wakes up and is like, yes, it's leg day. Um, Whereas the the hard things for me is, okay, you know what? Today, Lisa, you need to reach out to five people that you don't know and introduce yourself. That to me is like, that's like sitting in silence. It's uncomfortable, right? It brings up Mm. all my old stories. So Whereas the other way, it's like the muscles are there. Like they're That's strong. Right. It's you're used to that type of action, even though it is difficult. Yeah. It's, it's easy for me to do hard things that other people call hard. Those mm-hmm. things are easy for me. I have to start looking now at what are the really hard things in my business. And I can still bring this feeling of ease and grace to it, but it really came down to what am I avoiding and you in were... avoiding those things, I haven't been responsible. I was actually going to circle right back to the responsibility thing. You said there were areas where you still needed to show up and take on more responsibility. What was the mm-hmm. big one for you? Um, <laughs> really doing a lot of reach out in my business. Like what you're saying. What I'm exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Talk to five right? new people. Talk to five new people, like reach your hand out, put yourself out there, right? Because, you know, because of the nature of the work that I do, it it is such vulnerable work. Um, I'm always cautious about how I reach out to people because I don't want to make assumptions, right? So I had, I literally have had to work through my garbage around what it means to connect with other amazing humans and just connect with amazing humans with zero agenda, so that this is this is shifting gears a little bit because mm. I mean, when you bring that up, what shows up for me is the era of oh, I'll just automate it, <laughs> oh, I'll just uh, create a massive funnel, and then I'll advertise, right. and then people will okay. come, and right. you're and you're like super successful, and but you're uncomfortably putting your hand out there to shake mm-hmm. people's hands, like new people. Yes. Like belly to belly, like you say, and we shield ourselves with technology and not there, there's a right. place for it. There's a value of it, value from it. Um, but I would love for you to kind of expand on that. Cause I, in, in my experience and what I see is that that's what's missing. 
this question makes me so happy because it really comes, it really comes back to, you know, what has been the latest breakdown in my business, mm. right? What, what have I been working through? Which I, mm. and, you know, I know you've been curious about, um, when I moved my business online four years ago, right, I brought my program online and I was like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to have a multi six figure launch. I'm going to be rich. Everything's going to be great. And that it didn't happen that way. Uh, I, I spent probably multiple six figures in growing my business. Um, it just, it didn't happen that way for me and it doesn't happen that way for a lot of people. Right. But we're sold on the, this is what's available to you. And it is, it It is available to you. Right. But more often than not, you know, the majority of us don't have that story and it's not that we're getting it wrong right? It's just everybody's journey is going to be a different length. So over the past year, I would say, you know, I wrote my book, I finished my book almost a year ago to the day, launched my book. And prior to that, I had been, you know, expanding my coaching practice and who I was working with and how I was working and really loving one-to-one yet still doing these launches and hating them, right? Launching my product, hating them. And the universe was like, well, over here, it's like easy. Why do you keep doing this? And I really had to check in. And what's happened for me over the past year since I've I've really rebranded was getting the courage to really swim away from shore, meaning like I put a pin in all my courses. They're still available to my one-to-one clients. I don't launch them anymore. Um, And going back to -to one-to-one work as the foundation of my business, where right now we're in a world where it's like, Sell to multiple people, right? You have to leverage yourself. Scale. Right, scale. I can tell you, I know what I need to have a thriving life in business. I can do that working one-to-one. And that's actually what lights me up the most. So how has it impacted your life and your work mm -hmm. and your business having switched So this is this is kind of the breakdown was recognizing that what I was stepping into and the type of women that I was working with meant that I had to let go and grieve kind of everything that had built my business up until now. So I left communities that are predominantly, um, you know, marketing based communities. And I love these mentors. It's nothing against them. It's nothing against anybody growing their courses or nothing. You guys do you. I'm also here to be a light to say like, there's other ways. There's other ways to grow and scale your business. And it doesn't really matter how much revenue you're generating at the end of the day. Like what's the profit you're keeping? Do you know your numbers? Mm -hmm. There's all like, there's so much stuff here. Um, But I basically had to very boldly step into the work that I had been doing kind of behind the scenes, again, hiding in plain sight, right? Working with these spectacular women, but not really talking about it, still kind of holding on to uh, the old parts of my work around food. So I made the decision to really let go of all of that. So like I said, we archived my courses. I sent a few emails out to my list with the subject line of I'm deleting you. Here's who I'm here to work with. This is my message. This is what I'm doing. I love you. That's Thank recent. you for being here. This is recent. Thank you for being here. This is what I'm going to be talking to as I step into the next phase of my business. So I basically rebranded a year ago and then went into a year of resistance around my message, 
was really because I was scared, right? I was scared to fully own the depth of my message. What will people like? Will people get it if I'm not talking about food? Will people like, how am I going to talk about all these things, right? Like, I'd literally just written a book that kind of, you know, tied up everything with a bow. That was, it was meant to be the swan song of my career. Like, here's, you know, here's the 1799 version, and then you can go through these. And then, I resi- that actually pulled me back into that work that I didn't really want to be doing anymore. So a lot of my clients still struggle with food, but that's not what I lead with because again, it's the symptom. So yeah, it's like you want to stay a caterpillar, right? Like so, really holding on. Yes. Yes. So I sent this email to my list and for people to stay on my list, they actually had to click the button to stay. They had to act. They had to act on it. And, um, I didn't care. I love them and I needed to release them because it was like the analogy I used is it was like I was standing in Times Square in a crowd of people, but everybody was facing out yelling at each other. And there were like random people in the crowd saying like, I can't hear you. But because there was so much noise around me. So in release, like we released thousands of people thousands and thousands of people, right? Which for a lot of people would create scarcity because we're told grow our list. For me, it created such an abundance because the people who opted in raised their hands and said, I care what you're doing. I want to hear from you. It changed the energy of how I write to my list and how I show up for them because Mm -hmm. it's horrible when you're writing content and you're like, does anybody even care? Like, am I yelling into the wind here? Did did it feed the people pleasing part of yourself? Like having thousands of people to speak to and, oh, I got to create for them. I got to. No, I was actually the other way. I was resentful. I was resentful that Uh, I wasn't getting feedback. Right. So I'm very like I'm internally driven. Right. Like I've learned to celebrate myself, but I'm also externally driven. Right. I'm a coach. I need the interaction. If I'm not getting interaction. mm -hmm. Right. There needs to be like, that's what fuels me. When people talk to me, that fuels me. It brings like ideas through me. Um, So by releasing all those people, the people who stayed, it was like, wow, you know, if a thousand people bought tickets to see me on stage, that would be pretty amazing. That's a pretty big room full of people. Right. Like how grateful I am for every single human there, as opposed to thousands of people who had opted into a challenge I did years ago that, you know, like it was literally releasing all my past history, my past stories, the things that were actually stopping me from being present to today. And so many of us as as entrepreneurs, we bring along those old stories. We're still living from the wound instead of releasing it, taking the lessons from Mm. it and moving forward. Right. So in my personal life, I was able to, like, I can really speak from where I am today and what it's given me. I don't live in the wound of it, but in my business, I was literally like making decisions based on, Oh God, but that happened last time. I don't want to do that again. And instead of just saying like, if today was my first day being an entrepreneur, what choice would I make? Right. Instead of pulling the wisdom, I was working from the wound. It really reminds me of when you sat down with your husband and you said, like, and you said, we're done when he was yes. in rehab and then you're doing this and you're like, well, here's thousands of people that's done. Like this is, this chapter yeah, is over. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just, so that's really been like the break. I, I literally went through physical files. Like I purged my home of physical stuff, like all the old client files, the old PDFs, the old, all of it. I'm like, I'm just getting all of it. I do not need to hang on to any of this stuff. It's safe for me to release it and to step into my bigger message. And it's safe for me to not, I don't speak to the masses. I'm not a coach for the masses. I'm a coach for a very specific type of individual who is really, really committed to stepping into what they want and they're ready to take responsibility for it, right? Like I literally, like I said, I shut down my bricks and mortar studio for a year on Thursday night so I could go and find myself, right? I had skin in the game. Those are the type of women that I work with. Like they are self-aware and they are ready to take responsibility. That's who I'm here to serve because those are our leaders. They're on the rise and they know that they're being held back because of the relationship that they're having with themselves. And like I said, they're scared to do the work, but they're ready to take responsibility and do the work. Because so I want to get, I want to get into these women. Um, yes. But, but, but I would love for you to expand on what did this newfound space create for you so far? So far, a lot of freedom, right? Literally giving myself permission to do things my way. I definitely had to deal with the emotions that came up for me around wanting other people's approvals, right? When you remove yourself from communities and when you like, I remove Mm. myself from groups where I really love these people. And again, I don't want to poo poo on what they're doing. You're just doing something new. Yeah. Like it's, it's no longer seeking anybody else's approval for what I'm doing and having the courage to walk my own path. Even when like, I feel like everybody's zigging and I'm zagging right? Teach to the multitudes. And I'm like, belly to belly. We need more intimate connection. We need people to actually really do this work. So it's just created so much space for me. And people say, well, you don't, if you're working one-to-one, you don't have control over your calendar. Oh yes, I do. Because part of what I teach my clients and part of what I model is healthy boundaries. I'm allowed to change things up. I'm allowed to say to them, like, we need to move your appointment There are no chains that bind me in my business. I always have a choice, right? So if I have a client, say I have a client that signed a six-month contract and I decide, you know, something's come up and I need to extend their contract, I'll just extend it. It's my business, right? Like I don't get caught in the, but I said I was going to do it this way. As long as my client is getting everything they need, I can move and shift as much as I need Hmm. to, right? It simplifies my business. And if I am preaching to women to slow down, find more joy, find more ease, find more fulfillment, I better be living in integrity of that myself. So I needed a business that was simple. I needed a model that was simple. I wanted to strip down all the bells and whistles. Like, how lean can I run my business? Not because I'm afraid to invest the money. Like I said, I've invested thousands but because I'm choosing to operate my business from a place of simplicity because other people need permission to do the same. I'd like to say that it's refreshingly feminine. Mm. The way that you shifted. So I say that because I think that taking on these masculine traits of grind and hustle and overwork 
I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's moments, I think there's times where you need to sprint, but I feel like, mm-hmm. like the, the more feminine women, there's a way of like, I believe that it's, there's a possibility of succeeding and achieving and accomplishing and living a great life from that place and not having to step into and try to be like, well, I'm, I'm trying to compete against other men. And it's like, no, you just, there's, there's a way to do it. There's another way to do it. And it's the way you're sharing it. That's what it makes me feel like, you know, if, if you're listening to this, that's what I want people to open their eyes and their ears to. Do you have anything you, to, to say about that? You are an amazing interviewer because this is a fantastic conversation about masculine and feminine. Okay. Because you're absolutely right. Like I used to live in my masculine and feminine energy was weak. Why would I want it? Uh, that was one of the reasons I left my first marriage. I was so in my masculine, right? So I literally depolarized my relationship. Would you mind distinguishing um, the two, the, like the difference between masculine and, and feminine for so people? So mas- masculine energy is really, it, it gets things done. It's the doer. So the way I describe masculine energy, it's like my, and I have a visualization I use around this. My masculine energy is like my three-headed dog, right, that stands very firmly at my side, okay, as like my warrior goddess princess, which I've actually learned my feminine energy is much more powerful than my masculine. The feminine energy, if you look at, you know, our world, feminine energy is what brings life into this world. It's what calls the masculine home. It's what grounds us. We all came from a woman. Right. We all came from a woman. (laughs) So because I was always in my masculine, that's what led to my burnout. My feminine Mm. is what I actually have to be anchored into. My feminine is my intuition. My feminine, my feminine is what I ground into so that when I let my three headed dog go and say, let's do the things today, I trust my feminine to call it back home and say, we need to stop now. We need to slow down. We need to get some rest. We need to tune into our intuition. We need to check in what's working, what's not working. That's my feminine. So, and just to so be many... clear, it's, it has nothing to do with male or female. No, because I think because there's women who are naturally in their masculine, and they wouldn't get that sense of exhaustion. I even think men who are too much in their masculine. Oh, yeah, we need both. Become exhausted, right? Men have their like we we all need both, but everybody gets to explore what that balance is going to be for them. When I was kind of recovering, I was too far in my feminine and literally nothing got done because I was so terrified of letting my doer back out. I was so terrified of that masculine energy because it's so addictive for me to do. Yeah. I was so terrified that it was just going to take over and I'd be full back into like working all the time mode. I literally didn't trust myself. So I had to learn how to trust both of the energies. Mm, so it's, it's almost like it's that like, when you went into the therapy, it's all, you know, you said it was all about being open, which is very feminine, talking about your feelings, feeling your feelings, being connected with other people, letting yourself be seen. Like there's really something uh, to that. That's 100%. part of your story. Amazing. So what, what do you see when it comes to your clients? Are they, are they going through that? Is that, yeah. <laughs> is that the narrative? Yes. Most of them are really in their masculine, right? That's what's driving their doing. So it's, it's, you know, helping them sink into the lessons of what it means to stop and celebrate, 
what rest actually means, um, to help them see the lessons that doing nothing is doing something, right? So many of them are moms. So the analogy I'll use is, you know, would you ever let your three-year-old not have a nap? What would happen if your three-year-old never napped? Cranky. They'd be cranky. I'm like, so if you know that rest is imperative for your children, why then are you denying it for yourself and why are you labeling it as lazy? Right? So it's, it's Mm. literally helping them see their stories through a different perspective so they can shape new beliefs around them and then come back out into the world in a different way. In what ways do you recommend your clients to shift to, to shift who they're being when it comes to this? It really depends what they're, you know, what they're struggling with. We get really clear on the things that they value, what they really want. So if they come to me and they're like, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm working all the time, I'm miserable, or, you know, the big thing is they recognize they're not taking care of themselves, right? It's showing up in their body, it's showing up in their health, they're exhausted all the time, like they're just exhausted, they're done, they have no patience for anybody, and they have no idea like how to feel like they have a really hard time with that whole, what does it mean to feel my feelings? They're very much in their heads. So for every single person, it's, it's different. There's no set structure in terms of how I work with my clients. We let where they're at be the guide for where they want to be. And you become that by getting super clear on what do you, what do you want for yourself? How do you want to feel? You want to feel more joyful? Okay, well, what does joy feel like for you? That's it. And some people are like, I don't know. I had to mm. discover that. What what is what does joy feel like? I know it's a word, but what does it actually feel like? Can I embody that? What does it look like to create that in my life? And how do I bring more of that in? Because thinking that it's waiting for me if I'm not willing to create it today, right? So it's getting them crystal clear on how they want to feel. And then helping them stay committed in the resistance and the discomfort, right? Because that's actually like the behaviors they don't want are comfortable for them. They're familiar. Helping them be in the discomfort of creating new be- new beliefs and forcing new behaviors so that they can have a different outcome, so that they can be that person they want to be. Do you find that uh, the women that you work with are split? I think you brought it up, the... I got to accomplish a lot in my career and then I'm also a mother and it's challenging to be both. It's, it's an either, it's an either or conversation. Like how do you, how do you address that? How do you intervene? They have a lot of stories around that. So again, it's getting clear on how they want to be showing up as a parent, Mm. right. And taking responsibility for that. So if you say you want to be more present with your kids, but your phone is glued to your hip and you're on your phone. We have to look at why are you saying you want one thing, but your actions are creating the opposite. Mm. So what are you committed to? Are you committed to your social media or are you committed to being present with your kids and then taking responsibility for what it is you really want? Like this is the hard part. This is the work. This is being in the work. So if you say you want to have, you know, your, your business is running you and you've got no time for your family, we're going to have to look at boundaries. Well, this brings us back to the, I'm too busy to even take a look at my stuff. Right. 
Do you do you encounter that? Like, I don't want to talk to you, Lisa, because I'm afraid it'll just flip everything upside down. Do you ever? People don't come to me until they're ready to flip things upside down. Okay, good. Right? Because like, that's the job, sense that I get from Yeah, my job you. isn't to convince you that you need to change. Yeah. My clients come to me saying, I need to change. I can't keep doing this anymore. I, I, I can't. I feel unhealthy. I feel unwell. Everything takes priority in my life but me. I feel like I'm being a crappy mom. I don't feel like I'm successful in my business, even though on paper they're like screaming success. Um, they, they just can't do it anymore. So they come to me ready to invest in becoming, stripping down what already is so that they, they can become what they need to become because they know they're here for more, right? So they're really pulled towards wanting more, but they literally don't know how they can possibly give anymore to achieve that, you know, next level dream without sacrificing mm. their health, their family, their relationships, right? So they look at, they'll say to me that they're making excuses, like they're making excuses to not go out and do the things they want to do. Like a friend will call for, call, oh, no, I'm too busy. I got to work. Right. So they're, they're literally avoiding things in their life that they know they want to be doing. But then they've got this story running that to have the success they want, they got to keep working. So we have to unpack all of that. It's it's very unique for every single person, but mm. it always comes back down to what is the relationship you're having with yourself? Are you willing to make that a priority? Right. Are are you willing to stop fighting for your current set of beliefs and create what you really want for yourself. Can you say and that it, part again? Are you willing to fight for new beliefs so you can create what you want for yourself? Something along. Are you willing to fight for? You've got to fight beliefs. for yeah, new beliefs. Yeah, fight for them. Yeah. Because because the old beliefs are just there; they're automatic. They are. The they're new like ones brushing you gotta your teeth. Mm, yeah. Like brushing your teeth. It's like breathing. So, and people think that their beliefs are the truth. Right. And there's very few things in this world that are true. Like when people say, well, I have to do this. Well, actually, you don't have to do anything. It's a choice. Like there's, very, there's very few things we have to do. Well, I have to parent my kids. Yeah. No, you don't. I can show you people who walk out on their kids and decide they don't want to be parents. Right. Well, I have to pay my taxes. Do you? There's lots of people that don't. Right. Like when we really get that everything in our life is a choice and we get to choose the perspective, we're going to wrap around it. We're going to choose the belief that we want to be anchored into. Is that belief supporting the outcome you want or is it actually holding you back from getting what you want? Why is it important? The, the role of being successful like, why is that important for you? Because you seem to be wanting to speak specifically with people who've already built a certain level of achievement and accomplishment and what they're going through, that's what you help address. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is, it is about achieving a certain level of success, like checking off a certain amount of boxes and then these problems that are created from that? I believe that these patterns of behavior work for us until they don't. And any woman who has achieved 
a, you know, a certain level of success. And that can look different for every single person, how they define it. It can be very isolating and lonely because now you don't want to talk about your problems mm. because who's going to get it? Nobody's going to understand. You don't feel safe. You're not going to go on social media and share it. You know, when I was sitting in this room with all these families, these were not like there was an appellate court judge, right? There were police officers, doctors, like people who have accomplished tremendous things in their lives. And they're still sitting in the same garbage that I was sitting in. Right. So like I said, the work that I do provides that intimate space for these women to really unpack and be seen and heard. And a lot of them mm-hmm. have never allowed themselves to be truly supported, to have a space where they could express themselves. I know for me, it wasn't like this was a whole new world. It was very uncomfortable, but there was so much growth in it. So leaders need a place where they can be themselves and they can talk about the things that are really keeping them, you know, it's, it's like the, the things that they're afraid of when everybody's gone to bed at night, the things that are occupying, you know, what's going on between their ears. It's, it's giving these women a space to actually express that and heal whatever is there. So beautiful. We're so, we are really lucky to have you. Oh, I'm so. This is such a rich and they're conversation. Lucky to have you. Like honestly, I feel like we're kind of just getting started in our, so, in our in our conversation. So <laughs> but I, I would love to ask you some like rapid fire kind of questions. Oh, good. Before okay. we before we close off. Okay. What's the most important thing you said yes to, and what's the most important thing you said no to? recently recently uh the most important thing that i said yes to recently i would say that four hours so honestly that was a i haven't really had a big kind of like aha moment like that that was really powerful for bringing some stuff to the surface for me what i've recently said no to is literally this whole online marketing and i'm not anti-marketing we need to market we need to talk to our people we need to find our people but the whole you know game of it all i i've said no i'm just in my own lane doing my own thing over here blinders on focused on what I need to be responsible for to continue to create the life that I want for myself. I don't care what anybody else is doing. What's the most important insight that you've gained in the last three months? How many areas I was still not taking responsibility for and where I was still showing up as a victim. As much as it pains me to admit that, that is the truth. There were places that I was just really blind and not wanting to take responsibility for, you know, the outcomes that I was having. If you can use one word to describe the theme of this year for you, what would it be? (laughs) Discernment. 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 This year has been about really listening to myself, listening to my intuition, trusting myself and getting incredibly discerning about where I'm spending my money, where I'm spending my time, who I'm surrounded with, right? Who gets to be though the people in my personal inner circle, giving myself, 
knowing and then giving myself exactly what I need, but I would say discernment, right? Because as somebody who I can, I can fully admit I can be easily influenced, right? I love people. I love learning from people. There's so many amazing people out there, right? Like I talk to people, I'm like, wow, I want to buy your stuff because I just love you. I think you're amazing. And I've had to learn to be discerning and say, mm-hmm. this is amazing and not right now. So beautiful. What is something that you believe that other people think is crazy? That is a great question. Wow. Very few things leave me stumped. What are one thing that I believe that I think that other people would think I'm crazy? I think a lot of the people listening think that it's crazy when I say that doing nothing is doing something. I think people really, really struggle with that. Um, yeah, doing nothing is doing something. And the more that I rest and take care of myself, the more my business thrives. So I've learned to do less better and thrive more. What are you excited about that we need to know about? That we can look what forward I, to, that we can what am I count about? on you, know, you for. Oh, God, am I going to say this out loud? I was just journaling this morning and I was really thinking about, you know, how I want to connect with my audience in a new way, right? Moving forward, saying, what do I want to do? What really fills my bucket? And I've been toying with a podcast now for quite some time. And I've had all these stories about why and I've got the, the story that comes up for me is I have nothing to say. Okay. We've been on for an oh hour and my. a half. I have lots to say, right? So obviously that's, that's just my own stuff coming up. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at launching a podcast called full frontal living where I can really dive yes. into these topics more, but keep them short and just bite size and give myself full permission to let it be messy. It doesn't need to be a, you know, long curated conversation, but just a short snippet of what's on my mind. So Can't wait for that. Can you tell us, can you define full frontal living? Cause that's just epic. Okay. So full frontal living is something that it came out in a conversation with my coach once and full frontal living is literally about the willingness to feel your feelings, right? All of it, like standing naked in the snowstorm and what really kind of hammered it home for me is one day I saw a bunch of ladybugs. It was the weirdest thing. It was winter and I kept seeing ladybugs all day. So, you know, being a little bit on the woo side too, I'm like, well, what does ladybug mean? What is ladybug about? And I started researching it. And what I found out about ladybugs is they actually start out as these spiny, ugly little caterpillar like things. But unlike a butterfly, they do not go into a chrysalis to transform. They transform into a ladybug fully exposed to the elements on a leaf. And I was like, okay, full frontal living, that's what it's about, right? Like when, when life shifted for me, there was no protective cocoon that I could go in. Like I had to fully like strip down and lean into it, be in all the discomfort to transform. And that's what I help people do. I help hold them to the discomfort of what it means to be fully present to everything that's going on in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly. So you can, you can feel it all and not be controlled by your emotions. It's not about, you know, drowning in sadness. It's about being present to like, I feel sad today. And then what do I need to help myself feel better? Like 
fully taking responsibility for what is going on for you, the, the emotions you're feeling, the thoughts you're thinking, all of it. Wow. I love that because it's trans transformation, but still, you still have to do your day-to-day -day stuff. You know, it, it's, it yeah. sounds nice to have the perfect scenario and do it all inside of a cave and then you re-emerge like completely right. brand new, but no, you got to have your day-to-day. -day. I think that's very, very yeah, powerful. That's that's what being in the work is. It's being committed to doing this work day in and day out in your life. Not, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to go have a transformation now. I'm going to go to Tony Robbins and do my <laughs> thing. Not poo-pooing on Tony Robbins. I'm going to come out. I'm going to feel high for a week. And then I'm going to slowly go back to my patterns. Mm. It's about being committed to your transformation daily, not as something you get to as like the center of your day who you are every yeah. my life is going to revolve around my continued transformation yes. and being present to what's going on for me because transformation is available in every moment like i'll probably get off this call and have like a, a vulnerability hangover wow did i really <laughs> talk about all that stuff right it's real people it is this this stuff is real thank you and and i'll feel my way through it and i'm you know I'm, I'm willing to share openly because somebody out there who I don't even know in some area of the world needed to hear something on this podcast and it'll change their life. That's why I do what I do. So I'm willing to be vulnerable in order to open people up to what's available for them. What are three action items that we mm. should take based on the things that we discussed today? Oh, we talked about so much. Um, show up in your life with curiosity. So judgment and, and curiosity can't hang out together. It's impossible, Ooh. right? So when you find yourself judging yourself, be curious about what's really going on for you. Be curious in your life where you're numbing. So in, in just stay curious about your life over the next couple of weeks. Pay attention to your patterns without judging them. And just start asking yourself better questions, right? So, so stay curious. Mm. Look at what you're doing in your life to matter, not to other people, but to yourself. Like, what do you do for yourself on a day-to-day -day basis that grounds you into a sense of peace and well-being, Right. What helps, what things are you committed to? And not just like a random Manny Petty, like that can be self care. I'm talking about daily non-negotiable mm -hmm. parts of self care. What the can secret. you start giving yourself? Yeah. Like, yeah. and it can be reading a book for five minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it is, but do you have something like that? Okay. And, you know, I think the last thing is find those people that you can trust. You know, Brene Brown refers to them as your marble jar friends. The people that always show up for you have the courage to lean in and have the conversations that you know you need to have. Let yourself be vulnerable and recognize that that's not weakness. It's a strength. You will be doing yourself such a, a service by giving somebody else the opportunity to hold space for you in whatever's going on for you. I guarantee you there's nothing that you're going through that is that unique. We want to believe that because we get to keep telling ourselves the story that we have to yeah. hide and be isolated, but it, it's just not true. There's somebody else out there that's struggling with the same thing as you talk about it. 
where can we follow you and see what you're up to on the interwebs? Interwebs. I have been hanging on an Instagram story a fair amount in, you know, my full straight out of the gym, hair everywhere. <laughs> Let's be messy and real style. This whole curled hair thing is like just fancy just for you. Um, and over on my website, you can go to lisacarpenter.ca. My handle on Instagram is Lisa Carpenter Inc. My handle on Facebook is Lisa Carpenter Inc. So I'm pretty I'm pretty easy to find, but Instagram is the easiest place to get me. So feel free to DM me, tag me on Instagram. If there's something you heard mm. in here that you're like, wow, that is a takeaway, create one of those little meme things, tag me. Um, I'm happy to come over and engage. I want to get to know who's listening and, and you know, what kind of impact this conversation had on you. And anybody can email me anytime. Lisa at lisacarpenter.ca. Like, share with me what's going on, what your takeaways were. Let me get to know you. I'm pretty easy to reach out to. For some reason, people are like, oh, you must be, I have no time. I'm good. I know my boundaries. If you want to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Finally. What would you like to be acknowledged for today? Wow, this is still, you know, this is still something, that whole receive. I think I would just like to be acknowledged for the courage and the work that has gone into me being able to show up and share like this. Absolutely. Like, Lisa, I acknowledge you for all of the work and the adversity and the breakdowns and the unveiling and the breaking everything apart, letting things go to be who you are today. Thank you. Thank you. I will receive that. And I'm going to write it in my journal too, because I, every day I keep track Seriously. of who I've acknowledged and who's acknowledged me. Because it's a way that, again, I put those deposits in my self-worth piggy bank. It's a powerful exercise. So thank you for having it's, me on. It's been an incredible honor to have you on the show. I just feel really just connected with my body right now. And I feel very present. I feel slowed down. I feel like uh, you've opened up in a way that I think is, is, it inspires me to just be really real with what is and honest about what is and just be very, very truthful and be very responsible. And, um, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much you're for coming welcome. on to the show. I love that you're having these conversations because it, it's, it's powerful, right? You're introducing people to the things that they don't even know they need. You're the messenger and you get to grow and evolve through it as well. So this is great. Thank you. The wonderful Lisa Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen. Such a pleasure to be with Lisa. And you can find more information about her work and what she is up to, what she is working on. And you can connect with her at lisacarpenter.ca. Find the show notes, the resources, and the links that have to do with the episode today at olivermanalise.com forward slash show. March 2nd and March 3rd, Reinvention Roadmap is happening. This is a two-day seminar. We go through the 10 steps, a methodical process to help you gain the clarity, direction, and confidence you need to get 
from where you are to where you want to be and all of the tools and insights to be able to break through all the things that stand in your way. You will learn so much about yourself, about life, and how to move the possibilities that you see for yourself forward. I encourage you so much to sit with and consider attending and investing in yourself these two days. It's going to be such a powerful and memorable and meaningful experience for you. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be incredibly rewarding as long as you take action on all the things that we create uh, during that weekend. So reinventionroadmap.ca. Use the code word possibility to save yourself 10% off the tickets. That's reinventionroadmap.ca. Code word is possibility to save yourself 10% off. And it is happening March 2nd and March 3rd. Would love to have you there. If you are getting value from the show, please, 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 Write us a review over at iTunes. Give us a five-star review. That way more people can find out about these incredible guests, these incredible conversations that are so, so important to me. And I know to all the people who are messaging me and letting me know that they're getting value from the show. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Oliver Manalise and find me on Facebook at Oliver Manalise and we can be in touch there. And if, you, if you're interested in having a one-on-one conversation about what it would look like to do some coaching, consulting, guidance, training with me on all things that have to do with leadership, performance, and lifestyle. Would love to connect with you. You can go to olivermanalise.com to set something up with me or just send me a DM if we're connected on the social media. And that's all. I am so, so excited to continue this conversation with you. There's some beautiful, beautiful guests that are coming up and a lot of things that I'm excited to share with you all. And uh, until next time.